0: Today's scripture reading is from 1 Peter, it's verses 5 to 11, and the passage is printed on page 6 of your bulletin, if you would like to read along. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen.
1: Thank you, Miranda. Uh, We have a special treat today, a uh, guest preacher, but by one who is hardly a guest to our community. Uh, That's Matt Miller, who serves on our staff uh, he works uh, normally as a, our every member ministry consultant, that is his official job title, but it includes him working with our ministry teams. You've seen him a lot as he has spearheaded our One Body Many Parts initiative and he does on a week-to-week basis the quarterbacking of all our different Sunday operations uh, to make this Sunday worship gathering Happen each week. So, a valuable member of our staff team, but also, you may or may not know, a seminary student and someone who is training for pastoral ministry and has been uh, just awesome and is such a blessing to have in our midst um, as a uh, minister in training and as a brother in Christ. And so, we're excited to have him uh, preach today. And to bring God's word to you. And so, uh, you know, just a a personal note. I have come to appreciate this brother so much. What he has uh, given to our community in leadership and in servanthood. Uh, He does so much behind the scenes. uh, But most of all, he does it always with humility and care and grace, and uh, so much of what you experience, even if you're brand new to the church, is owing to Matt's servanthood and his leadership. And so, we're grateful for him and indebted to him. So, thank you so much, brother, uh, for all that you are and all that you do uh, at Grace Meridian Hill. But why don't you come on up and let me say a word of prayer um, uh, as he begins, all right. Lord Jesus? Let's pray together, Lord Jesus. Thank you for. Another day where we have the privilege together of hearing from you, from your word. And now we pray that you would bless your servant, Matt, and that we would, through his words and through his study and meditation and reflection, all that he's put into this time, that it would bear fruit, that you would open our ears to hear from you, that we would receive your word of life, and that you would change us. That's what we're asking for. Please change us. Because of this time, I pray your Holy Spirit upon this brother. Set him free, give him all boldness, all humility, and all strength. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's welcome our brother together.
2: Thank you, Duke. Need to gather myself. Um, you can hear me okay? Well, it's a privilege to be preaching with you. Um, I love serving with this church. I've been in the Grace DC sort of ecosystem for the last five years about, um, and I love getting an opportunity to preach, so thank you for uh, listening well. Um, So let's get into it. Um, At the end of 2016, I don't know if you guys were browsing the internet and you saw headlines like, 2016 needs to end. Or um, when will 2016 end? Things like that. Um, A lot of people didn't really enjoy 2016 um, for a number of reasons, and I won't go into those. Um, But we look forward to the new year. We look forward to what's to come in 2017. Uh, Did you guys see the the thing going around about the me at the beginning of 2016 and the me at the end of 2016? Um, If you didn't, it's this thing where you put a picture of someone, usually someone who's, who's young, has a lot of energy, vibrant, like um, one of them was Luke Skywalker from the 1970s. He's like, uh, he's fresh, he's, he's happy, and then you get the Luke Skywalker at the end of 2016, and he's like old and raggedy and grumpy uh, from the 2016 Star Wars movie, which is like 50 years later. Um, <laughs> That has nothing to do uh, with my sermon, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, how, it's how we loosen up. Um, but we are looking to forward to 2017. We are in 2017, and uh, we're looking for good news, some, some hope, and so that's what we're here today for. Um, so in this passage, there's two pieces of news for us today that will have a huge impact on how we go forward into 2017 and how we we uh, assess 2017. The first is that we won't avoid suffering. And the second is that a change is going to come. And I'm borrowing that from Sam Cooke's um, awesome song. So the sermon's divided into two sections. We won't avoid suffering and a change is going to come. So let's look at these first few passages together. Uh, we'll see this passage as not whether or not suffering will come to Christians It's whether we'll entrust ourselves to God in the midst of it. Peter makes a connection between suffering and humility. God entrusts himself to those who rely on him, and he sets himself against those who oppose him. A commentator wrote that the proud person sets himself against God, and God in turn sets himself against the proud. In contrast to the proud person, he says the humble person has a despairing self-distrust that turns to God in self-reliance. Not in self-reliance, in saving faith. This is the humility which Peter urges we clothe ourselves in. So in suffering, Peter instructs his readers to humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. This isn't one of those passages or this, one of these verses that you kind of read and just keep going, right? Like there's so many in the Bible that we're just thinking, oh, well, this just sounds like the Bible. Um, but actually, the mighty hand of God uh, is used time and time again in the Old Testament. And it's, it's used in the Exodus story, where God brings his people out of Egypt through all these miracles and great acts. Um, and so we, we see, this, pass- we see just this passage, and it says uh, to humble oneself under God's mighty hand. And it means to rest in the security and comfort of God's power over worldly sources of worry and anxiety. So it seems at first glance that Peter is telling us something like uh, we need to humble ourselves. Like it's either I, I humble myself or I don't. Or, you know, at the end of the sermon, I'm going to say go and, and be humble. Um, but that's not what he's saying. Peter is saying that all Christians will suffer because they're Christian and they will be humbled because of it. It's going to come. The commentator reminds us earlier in Peter's letter of three things that are true of Christians, which we need to remind ourselves often. The first is that persecution comes to faithful Christians and is not apart from God's will. The second, we should recognize painful trials as a normal part of Christian life. And the third is that these experiences are God's way of sanctifying his people, setting them apart. So with these things in mind, he says, the point is not that Christians have a choice of whether they humble themselves. The point is that when suffering comes, put yourself under God's power and not your own. Then Peter adds, if you're looking at the the verse in your bulletin, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Reading these verses out of context uh, might lead us to think that Humility is a give and take relationship with God. Like we uh, do a humble act now, and then God will uh, exalt us or give us a blessing later. But that's also not what Peter's saying. Uh, we fall into that thinking a lot. Peter is actually referring uh, to the second coming of Christ. It's a major theme in his letters, and uh, it just means uh, the proper time of exaltation is a one-time act of God. Not intermittent periods of, of rest uh, from suffering, which do come in this life. Um, but it's God's coming again. And so it continues this thought in verse 7. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And I love, I just love that verse. I read it so often. So in Peter's time, uh, Christians risked their livelihoods, uh, their families, their work. Their work. Uh, they're friends just for being Christian. So Peter's writing to a people that are undergoing persecution as he writes, uh, just for their faith. So there is cultural paganism going on uh, that was run by the government. There's also Judaism. And if you're a Christian, you didn't fit into any of those categories, so you immediately stuck out. So he's comforting these Christians by reminding them that God cares for them. That he will carry their worries and anxieties about what the future is going to bring for them. He's probably drawing from Psalm 37 5 where it says commit your way to the Lord trust in him and he will act or Psalm fifty-five twenty-two, where it's written cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. So in verses 6 to 7 Peter is saying something really interesting. He's saying anxiety is the enemy of humility. He's saying you can't humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and be anxious at the same time. In fact, Jesus taught this very same thing. In the Gospels, Jesus teaches that anxiety about the difficulties of life that are to come or that are already here choke out, the work, uh, choke out God's work and word in us. Jesus assures us again and again, such as in Matthew 6, that he will provide for our every need and that we're not to worry. A commentator on Jesus and Peter's teachings says, For God's word to be fruitful, there must be a self-forgetfulness that is based on trust in God regardless of circumstances. Worry denies the care of our sovereign God. Because we convince ourselves that we need to solve all of our problems in our own strength. When suffering comes, oftentimes, that's when people give up on God. That's when we uh, start to, to question God's motives. Worries and anxieties pop up because we don't know what's coming next. Uh, we don't have control, but God does, and he's in control. And he doesn't want us to worry. So, but why won't we avoid suffering as Christians? Why does suffering need to come for us? For one thing, the world is broken by sin in every capacity. But Peter is focusing on the source of it here. He's reminding us that Christians have an enemy in verse 8. You could read with me in your bulletin if you'd like. Uh, Verse 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. The Christian life is one of perpetual resistance, you could say. We battle temptations from inside us, and we stand against external threats from our enemy in the world. We know from the Bible that the devil has been a liar And deceiver from the beginning, that he wants to shipwreck our faith. And he's not going to stop until Christ returns. But the glory of the gospel is that he's already defeated the devil on the cross, removing the teeth that the lion has, per se. The devil has no ultimate power or authority, but until Christ returns, the devil does have some power in this world. We shouldn't go around blaming all of our suffering on the devil because for one thing, the devil isn't omnipresent like God. He's not in every place at one time. He, he, he doesn't have that kind of power. And oftentimes we just fall into sin because of our own inclinations. However, Peter wants us to see that Satan's goal is to shipwreck our faith, as I said. He does this through different kinds of threats, temptations, violence, Uh, persecution. Until Christ returns, Peter tells us he's prowling around like a roaring lion. A commentator helpfully connected this imagery of a lion to the books of Daniel um, and Revelation. Uh, The animal imagery is used to symbolize world governments and systems under the influence of sin. He says, Peter may be implying with the lion imagery that satanic powers are at work in the sociopolitical system of the Roman Empire under which his readers are suffering. The roar of the lion would scatter a flock of sheep in panic. As I said earlier, the Christians in Peter's day were social outcasts. They weren't part of any category of either state-held religion or of the traditional Jewish religion, they stuck out. They were slandered and they were reviled for their faith in Christ in every capacity. It's no surprise that Satan is actually at work in our world today. Um, I was reading on Christianity Today, I think, um, that back in 2015, Open Open Doors uh, is an organization that studies persecution around the world, Uh, They said in 2015, 2,400 churches were attacked or damaged and that 7,000 Christians were killed for their faith. Um, You can see, uh, I don't know if you saw, that Russia passed laws that uh, limited evangelism to Christian buildings only, which threatened the house churches uh, uh, in the process, which are very prevalent in Russia. Racism continues to deal an unquantifiable amount of damage To our brothers and sisters of color, its demonic influence has been in every sphere of our society for so long. Along with these, Christians suffer in so many ways in the workplace. We're bombarded by easier ways to go through life uh, because of that. The devil's proposition is always the same, right? He says, did God really say you have to suffer? By the Spirit's power, Christians are called to be firm. A commentator said that standing firm is something that Christians are called to when the only other recourse would be to give in and give up your faith. Peter is not saying just stand in or don't stand in suffering and persecution just to suffer because God provides many resources and means to alleviate suffering and we should take those. But we're called to... Um, respond to difficulty and suffering because of our faith to stand firm. The only, the, the only way we're able to, to do this, right, to, to stand firm in our faith is because we're not doing it alone. And we see in verse 9 that we're, we're in this together. We are not alone in our suffering for the faith. We stand together with brothers and sisters in Christ going through the same things throughout the entire world. Oftentimes we're Tempted to think that God is against us when we're suffering, we're prone to feel isolated, like no one else can relate. But there's tremendous power when you can go up to a brother and sister in Christ and ask for their help and for their prayer. They know what it's like to be reviled, to be looked down on, to be known as the only religious person in the office, to be mocked or ridiculed by your boss for not working on a Sunday. We need to be told again and again that your brothers and sisters are here to share your burden. So there's a glorious end to this suffering that we see in this passage, and it's not far off. A change is going to come. This is the second part, if you're taking notes. One commentator said of the Christian life that this life is anything but your best life now. Glory comes by way of the ground. The attainment of heaven will be by way of an excruciating journey. We will receive heaven's gains by carrying our cross in the here and now. This changes how we look at 2017 and beyond, doesn't it? Oftentimes when we become Christian, we're not told um, what's to come or the suffering that is connected to being Christian. In verse 10, Peter tells us that In just a little while, Jesus will be at our side. But you can hear this in two ways, I think. You can hear it this way. It's only going to be a little bit, so just suck it up, you know, pull up your bootstraps and grit your teeth and get through it, right? Or you could hear it like this. Dear child, this will pass soon and you will be with your eternal father forever. Compared to God's eternal glory this that endures forever the sufferings of this life will seem like they only lasted for a whisper of time. The God who humbled himself by taking on a weak and fragile body for our sake he's coming to comfort us and he's not not only that he's going to comfort us and lift us up in front of the world and say you are my beloved children. With you I am so well pleased. It's going to be a great day. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. It's this truth that has us singing with Sam Cooke, the guy who I'm quoting uh, in my second point. He says, there have been times that I thought I couldn't last for long, but now I think I'm able to carry on. So I want to make a note quickly to talk to you, uh, to those who are not in Christ. This good news that we think about, uh, that we sing about, offered to us, uh, is offered to you as well. God wants you to give, God wants to give you hope. You might be wondering, um, why is he making his people wait for him? What's taking so long? Um, Shouldn't he be here by now? But Peter says, Earlier in his letter, or actually in 2 Peter, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. In other words, Jesus is waiting for you. He's waiting for you to acknowledge your sinfulness and your need for Christ's righteousness, without which scripture tells us no one will see the Lord. And do you long to see Jesus? And we would love to talk to you afterwards. Dukewood and Yancey for sure. Um, so to conclude, another quote here. I didn't write who it's from. It says, ironically, according to Christian faith, the way up always comes by going down. It's a glorious thing to know that Peter of all people would be writing this letter that we're hearing today. He was the first one to identify Christ as the Son of God, who claimed his faith was so strong that he'd be, rather be, uh, not rather be, but he would be jailed before he would give up his faith. Right after declaring that to Jesus, we know, as the story goes, um, he goes and denies Jesus three times, right after that. What's so amazing about Jesus is the perfect love for which he has for Peter. Peter was humbled by profound suffering for his faith in Jesus. He experienced so much suffering and so many threats and temptations to turn away from his faith. But he understood the cost that Christ paid for his own sins. He understood the incredible suffering Christ took on for his sake. So he teaches us now, saying in 1 Peter 2, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. The reason we have hope is because God sees us as he sees Jesus. Jesus suffered for his faith perfectly in ways we will never be able to grasp. We worry about a hundred things a day, don't we? You're probably thinking of things you need to do right now. Our faith is so weak, we boast of our faith to ourselves and to others, perhaps, and yet we're not sure if we really want to suffer for it, if that were to come. Brothers and sisters, Christ died and rose for the likes of you and me, already knowing all of this about ourselves. He died so that we would be brought back into relationship with himself. Our faith may waver, but Christ's faith never wavers. Don't you see we are called to a life of suffering because Christ suffered? We are promised exaltation because Christ was exalted. We'll be delivered from sin and suffering because Christ is coming to destroy them himself. So cast your anxieties on him today because he cares for you. Humble yourself under his mighty and gracious hand. Let's pray. Father, we are anxious about a million things, and we worry about the things of tomorrow and years from now. And we pray that you would relieve us of those anxieties and help us to cast them on you and live in the freedom of your care for us. We love you, Jesus. And We pray in your name. Amen.